Hey guys, Blaine here, and you are listening to the Ensense Podcast. Today we are rolling again an interview that we did with Alan Arnold, who is a personal friend, the podcast producer, a writer and speaker, and it is extremely relevant right now because we had a conversation about chaos and Alan's very unique take on what it is, where it comes from, how it opposes God's agenda, and how we're equipped as image bearers of God participating in the mission of Jesus to change chaos on a fundamental level. You may have noticed it's a chaotic time, so it seemed like a great time to re-air this interview. If you're interested in the book that Alan mentions that he was writing at the time of the recording of this interview, that book's out now. It's called Chaos Can't. You can find it on Amazon. Really helpful read if you're looking to engage the spiritual dimensions of chaos to bring beauty, to bring life, to bring order, to bring change to the world that God has given you to change. So enjoy this interview. It's kind of like the American dream, right? It's like you, you spend your life working for your retirement. Golly, what a lot of shit, man. I would tell young Lori to slow down and allow the season to do its work. Don't say healthy, don't say happy, don't say well, and don't say normal. You show me one person on the planet who's healthy, happy, normal, and well. Who is that person? Is there something good that can be gained quickly? I don't know. Guys, welcome back to the Ansons Podcast. I am Blaine, and Sam is here too. The second voice you hear will be Sam. Today, we have a third voice in, don't talk second, Alan, in the form of Alan Arnold, who is a part of our team at Ransomed Heart, uh, and he's been on before to talk about story, the power of story, having chairs thrown at him in a publishing room. If you haven't heard that conversation, <laughs> go back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he talked second. Nice to see you, Sam. <laughs> so, Alan, you're Sam. I'm Sam from here on. Okay. <clears throat> this is going to be confusing. But we knew that Alan was writing again in all of the free time that you supposedly have uh, between working and having three kids and also teaching writers how to create with God. But this time, Alan has been writing about chaos, we knew immediately that we needed to sit down and ask, why the heck are you writing about chaos? Isn't life complicated enough (laughs) without directly thinking about it? Why is this book number two? Just take us right into it, man. Well, so chaos for me is an intriguing topic because one, you know, we all face it. I mean, everybody listening, Blaine, you, Sam, me, we all wake up and our day without us having to try is going to have some chaos in it. And so I've always wondered, how do you approach chaos without becoming more chaotic? Because that's typically what happens. And so I have three teenagers at home. There's chaos there. Good kids, but but always something going on. They're in our, in our work, in our finances, in marriage, in basically every aspect of our life, 
chaos tries to get in. So about two years ago, I just started thinking about how do we approach chaos and if we approached it differently, more like God approached chaos, for instance, how would that change things? And so that got me on a really creative journey into this topic. And like you guys know, if you're an artist of any kind, when you step into a topic, your life, you have to journey through it. And I think God allows you to live through even a more intense version of whatever that is. And so in my case, I look over the last two years and I'm thinking, (laughs) crap, I probably um, am living in a little more chaos because that's giving me more insight into this thing I'm trying to give birth to. And uh, it's been a wild ride. Okay. I can definitely relate to the first part of chaos. The, the ways that it gets turned for good doesn't strike me right away, if I'm honest. Yeah. I've got the two little ones, and we were reading the classically annoying book, If You Give a Pig a Pancake, the other day. And you guys know these, like the mouse of muff, the mouse of cookie, moose of muffin. It's it like the on. domino oh, effect. They go on and, on. Yeah. and it was so interesting as I was reading it, I found myself getting stressed out and feeling like the person that's trying to placate this because it was from one thing to the next and none of the projects actually got finished. It was this, like, oh, this is making me think of this next thing. And then there's just glue everywhere. And then there's half finished things. And I'm like totally relating to this experience of being kind of falling forward through a chaotic day. And I finished this book and I'm like, I think this is just supposed to be like a playful book for kids, but I need to like do some centering breathing for all of the ways that I'm relating to the chaos of, of the, like the given moment. Yeah. So I guess my first question is in having a conversation around chaos, do you, did you come up with a helpful working definition that actually framed some of the possibility of chaos. Yes. And so, okay, let's think about chaos this way because I know there's plenty of definitions out there. But to me, the best definition of chaos really is found in the beginning of Genesis. And so Genesis 1-1, everybody knows in the beginning. Genesis 1-3 the creation process starts and let there be light. But there's this confusing, I think, often overlooked verse in Genesis 1-2 where the Hebrew scripture translates it as God's spirit is hovering over chaos, over this murky darkness, this bottomless ocean, this swirling something. And so that's where I started with chaos is right when that when that feeling when that place comes where i feel like i'm at the end of myself there's this there's no good solution everything is murky everything is swirling and that can happen in our life in countless ways right i mean countless ways sometimes every day so how did god approach chaos how did he approach this murky darkness this swirling. And what's interesting is, right, it was before creation. So whatever was going on was before he actually started the act of creating. And so we look at God and what we see is, and the Hebrew scholars often say is, in that moment, he started to bring beauty, life, order out of chaos. And so 
to me, the best definition of chaos is this um, darkness, this fog, this swirling, these, you know, basically when life seems, things seem out of control. And so if God steps into it and he doesn't become more chaotic, he actually transforms it by his presence and by his creativity into something other. And so that started me on this journey, guys, of, okay, most people in life, when they face chaos, either retreat, they just back up, they hunker down, they try to wait it out, or they try to control it and go in and try to force everybody and everything around them to behave or do things differently because they think if they can get a a, a control on it, they can actually stop the chaos. Neither of those options work very well, right? The hunkering down doesn't help. The I'm going to go out and rage against chaos, that actually doesn't help. We don't have as much control as we think we have over most things in our life. And so if neither of those are good options, what is a good option? And I think when we start to look at it as, okay, how did God enter into chaos and change things? Well, it was first, he never became more chaotic. He actually went into chaos and he didn't blink. The chaos blinked. The chaos transformed. And so that started me on a journey of what if I look at chaos differently? What if I see it as a canvas, no matter what the situation is, to actually go in and say, through my presence and through whatever talent or gifting God's given me, I want to start changing the canvas around me. And so that can be at family gatherings where you're not doing anything related to maybe what you love to do as a, as a job or career or calling. You're just at a table with 10 broken people, you know, at a family reunion or at a gathering or you are in a basketball game and the fans and the people around you are going crazy in the in the gym. How do you change that chaos by your presence first? And so that started me on this really journey of exploration of knowing what chaos is, how to step into it, and hopefully how to start transforming it. Whoa. <laughs> so much there. First of all, I'm going to start with the first thing that you said and go back to this reading of the creation account in Genesis is so helpful. It stands up to scrutiny. The verse Genesis 1-2 of the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Waters in the Hebrew worldview is synonymous with chaos, with a f- f- uh, an unstructured power. This goes all the way up into the apocalyptic visions of the prophets where they say, and there's no sea, and people extrapolate. That's so weird that there's no water in heaven. (laughs) And it goes, no, they're employing a a well-established symbol to communicate the reality of this violent, turbulent chaos is gone at the culmination of the work of Jesus. But... I want to say a couple of things because I feel like if I'm a listener and you just said in Genesis 1, there's something there. It's weird, right? Because we expect Genesis to be, this is the very beginning of things, but you know, we just had uh, Dr. Longman, the Old Testament scholar on the podcast, and then 
we were talking about that that's not where the doctrine of like creatio ex nihilo comes from. Like that's not the first thing. There is some formless chaotic something yes. that God is engaging and the first three days of creation, he provides structure. The second three, he provides population. But just this idea of God is not intimidated by chaos. He actually has a strategy. It looks very different from the strategies that we employ with chaos. And what's so cool is chaos was there before the fall. So we often want to think, well, when there's chaos in our life, that's just part of a fallen world. And I think there's truth in that. And yet in Genesis 1, chaos is around before the fall, before Adam and Eve. And so God is up to something with chaos before sin enters our world. And the question is, well, what is the relevance for us? And I think part of it is, I think God, if he trains us up as sons and daughters, we get to know him in Genesis 1 first as father and creator, right? So we're sons and daughters, and we have in our DNA his creativity on some level. Everybody does. When you hear people say, I'm just not creative, that how could that be when your father is the creator spiritually? So we get to know God as father and creator, and the very first thing as his sons and daughters he shows us how to do in the beginning is face chaos. Like that's the, the very first lesson, the very first active demonstration he's showing us. And so I find that fascinating because what that means to me is it's a, it's a training ground for us. We shouldn't be surprised by chaos, yet we always are. <laughs> I mean, every time the car breaks down, or the bill in the mail that's unexpected arrives, or some family dynamic happens, it always has this moment of, wait, what? How could that happen? But God's training us early on, I think, to say, here's how you navigate chaos. And it's not how the world teaches us. There's, it's not avoidance. It's not panic. It's not becoming more chaotic. It's actually going into it with a strength as a son or daughter of the creator. So to me, that, you know, that one verse just has so much to unpack on a practical level, not just a theological level, but on a very day-to-day practical level. Yeah, I find it really helpful as you're naming all these different areas, the ways that chaos plays itself out in families and in car breaking down. I mean, I think of the word chaos, I think of I think of just everything, everything has hit the fan and I can't tell up from down and some things that I would label as like disruptions, I think feel smaller to me, but they're playing these parts in maybe the larger chaotic picture. And when I think of disruptions, I don't actually think of that as a negative word anymore because that's something that can pull me out of a rhythm that I've gotten into and I need to be kind of shocked out of it. We think of that as like sometimes being a helpful tool. And so we can have like a really good posture towards this and we can have a really negative kind of fearful controlling posture towards this. You had mentioned like that God seems to have a vision for what he's going to do with chaos for. Is that, what's your posture in trying to discern that for you in the moment? Like what, what God might be up to in the chaos in, you, in your current story? I think it's always, although every situation looks different on the external, at the heart of it, it's always, 
He wants to train us how to bring beauty, our life, or order out of chaos. You know, it, it's and so if um, I'm driving the kids to school, and one of them says something that creates a, you know, starts to bring chaos and confusion or frustration in the car. Well, now my my question to myself is, okay, if I take the bait, if I get riled up, or if I just want to shut it down so I get louder, then I'm actually bringing an atmosphere of chaos. I'm unraveling it further. But if I want to bring beauty, life, or order, and I see this attempt of, at chaos to come in, well, on a very practical level, it allows me to be calm and it allows me to start shifting the atmosphere in the vehicle. Because I think that's what God did. He shifted the atmosphere in Genesis 1-2 through, I mean, I wish I wish it had been filmed, you know, where we could watch what was actually happening. But whatever else he was doing, he was changing the atmosphere. So like on a practical level, if I can listen to what's going on but stay calm, because if there's chaos in me, it's going to come out. But if I have a calm center, then when the chaos starts to come, I can actually change that atmosphere. And what I'm bringing, what I'm bringing to life is something that didn't exist before. It's, it's a calm. It's a, you know, you, your kids actually go, wow, dad. He handled that really well. Like, you know, I was upset, but when I saw that it didn't bother him, the calm kind of set in the in the vehicle. And that's just one example. But I think it's, you know, the, the challenge before us is, what is God's motive with chaos? If it's training ground, you know, then we can step into it with him and we can change the atmosphere like he did. What's the enemy's motive with chaos? Well, I don't know if you guys even would agree with this, but I'll throw it on the table. But I don't think the enemy, he, you know, Scripture shows how he started as one of the most beautiful, brilliant of the created beings. But then he fell and he fell big. And that was through ego and that was through um, narcissism and all these other things. But I think he lost his ability to be a creative force when that happened. And what he now does is brings chaos where God ushers in creativity and the enemy constantly tears down, distorts, aborts life, you know, takes away where God breathes life and creates, creates new things. So with chaos, the question is, am I going to let life and other things around me unravel? If so, I'm, I'm actually falling into what the enemy does. He throws chaos at creativity. God steps in and continually transforms it. Man, it feels like there's a paradigm here that begins with, I am the son or daughter, son, the political term, son or daughter, child of a creative father. I am creative. I contribute creation to God's universe. I'm creative Therefore, what I must be bringing and able to bring is a contribution of creativity to my life. It's interesting that your definition of chaos seems to actually expand the amount, increase the amount of chaos or what you would define as chaos in a person's life 
but it's not negative where, like Sam is saying, if it's the last five minutes before Sam and I are both single car households, the last five minutes before either of us get out the door to go to work are what I would define as chaos, where it's there are bags everywhere, there are kids running around who have one shoe on and one shoe off, and there's an attempt to swap calendars with our wife to share expectations for the day. And it's, but, and, you know, and that's an extreme example. Right. But you're also talking about your bike has a flat tire. In the afternoon, you're going to have to go have a conversation with your roommate about him moving out and you don't know how it's going to go. During the weekend, you've been bored as hell for a long time and you want to do something with the unformed time of your Saturday. Right. Like you can actually treat each of these as chaos and that's okay in this view. It's a, it's not only okay, I think it empowers you to go into it with a real strength and a real calm. Um, and we're talking about, you know, God and Satan, these two forces where God is the creative force, Satan is the chaotic force, I think. Lawrence Kasdan, who this this was the guy who was involved in Raiders of the Lost Ark, Return of the Jedi, Accidental Tourist. He was quoted in this L.A. Times article a while back, and he was talking in that article about the director of the Seven Samurai um, film, which he is saying, you know, this this guy, his name I'll, I'll mispronounce it, but it's it looks like Akira Kurosawa, and he basically is so Lawrence Kasdan is talking about him. And he says, this was the greatest director who ever lived. And he said, villains have arrived at where they're going to be. That's their flaw. But the heroes always evolve. They're open to change and growth. And so if you think about that, chaos freezes the villain or the enemy in a story. They can bring more chaos, but they don't change. Think about the James Bond villain. He doesn't go through an arc in the James Bond movies, he stays the villain, pretty much the same villain, start to finish, right? But the hero gets transformed and propelled to further growth. And so to me, when we face chaos, we have to think, this is either going to stump me, I'm going to freeze in this state of panic or loss or um, violence or whatever it is, or... I'm actually going to see myself as one, a son or daughter of God, who's actually going to be transformed and propelled to further growth to the very thing that threatens to unravel. And I, to me, that's a great filter to look at what we face with the roommate or our spouse or our kids or a job that didn't turn out like we thought or that we lost. Like chaos is coming. It always is. We're going to face it. And the question is, now what do we do with it and how do we view it? And I think if we have this, this deeper view of chaos, it takes away the fear and it allows us to approach it in a way. We don't, we don't invite it. We're not trying to you know, um, bring more chaos into our life. But when we have it, now how do we step into it? It's interesting that you don't sound downhearted about all this because part of me when you say it's our training goes yes I want to rise up are you kidding me my creativity can be the decisive influence in whatever the situation is 
And part of me goes, oh man, that sounds exhausting. So when it comes to connotation, this seems positive to you. Could you talk about why that is? Because there's definitely something in me that goes, oh man, (laughs) I'm going to be provided with more and more chaos. Well, you need that that positive or at least not fearful approach to chaos. If you're able to throw things around like chaos is coming, it's going to come. We're not going to seek it out. We're not going to create it. Right. But try as you might get your little sandcastle nice and ordered. Chaos is going to come. Yeah. Why doesn't that bother you? Okay. Well, I'm going to quote somebody that you know, Blaine, uh, because it's you. And what you said, uh, and I wrote down about a year ago when we were talking You said an artist's best work comes not from comfort, but from the limitations and chaos of life. And I think that's a real truth. Look at the greatest creators of our time in film, in, you know, story, in art. And if you go back into their life, most of the time, these people had their highest creativity in the most chaotic moments of their life, period of their life. And then once they become wealthy and live pretty cush and, you know, money's not an issue and respect is not an issue and time is abundant, a lot of times their later work isn't all that great. And so you were talking about how the crucible of their creativity kind of that that refines it is actually from limitation and chaos. And right before God created in the days of creation, he, he was coming out of chaos. He wasn't coming off of a smoke break or, you know, a, a vacation somewhere. Like he was coming out of transforming chaos and then everything is created. And, and by the way, I would say I used to be the guy who was in the control camp that I thought if I can just control enough things in my life, my kids, my wife, the job I'm in, um, when I work out each day, whatever it may be, eventually I can get rid of 99.9% of chaos. Well, I couldn't. And what it caused me to do is start living a smaller and smaller story. Because the more you try to control things, the more everything gets you know, clamped down. And so there's not a lot of risk. There's not a lot of spontaneity. And so what I've found now is rather than control, if I can step into the unknown with God, that's exciting. And again, I'm not looking for chaos, but when something happens to go, okay, God, how are you fathering me? How are you initiating me through this to somehow change the atmosphere with the people around me, with with the test, not that the chaos is coming from God, but whatever the chaos is, God goes with us in it. And so how now can I be fathered and mentored and actually initiated and look back at that? Like think how many times when chaos hits, we look back and go, oh man, I blew it. Like I, I lost my temper with my wife, with my kids. I said something I shouldn't have said. I can apologize, but it's out there. You know, there's so much regret, I think, when chaos hits often on how we respond because we become more chaotic. But if we take this approach, more times than not, we can get on the other side and go, man, like, yeah, that was hard. And I wouldn't want to live through that again. 
And I changed the atmosphere for the better in the midst of that. So it actually was good and hard. Okay, we need to tease out something for me here. There seems to be a difference between control and order, right? Because the control is this negative, brittle, doesn't handle chaos when it comes well. Right. But creating order is part of what we get to bring in the chaos as like kind of a means of taming it. And there's some health associated with that word. But I could see how that would be a confusing tension between those two. Like sometimes maybe being controlling, you could think that what you're doing is you're actually having order. Right. But it's not the case. And so how do we how do we tell the difference between those two? Yeah, I don't I don't see that's a great question. I don't think order means everything on our desk is lined up and squared where it's it's perfection as long as nobody breathes or touches it. You know, I think order more in terms of when God created the universe, there was order to it and yet it was wild and messy and untamed and it it wasn't the sterile environment of of you know, you think about how God created, there was, to me, a, a, a generosity and a wastefulness almost in a good way of what he did versus, you know, all of these animals are going to walk straight in a line and, and there's going to be symmetric mountains everywhere and like not that kind of order, but order meaning our spirit has a sense of peace and calm and we can step into something in a, in a way that brings common sense, a peace, a calm into it. So order in that sense, um, more, more of a peace rather than um, just a craziness, you know, where everything's hitting the fan. So yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah. I've definitely fallen into the trap of, and had the words come out of my mouth, if I just had like more structure to my week, then I will be happy. Then I will have like, <laughs> I finally get like the fence posts kind of getting me in the right direction. But yeah. I, I love the the vision there of there's still wildness in God's good ordered creation. It's not that all of the sticky notes and the pencils are perfectly aligned and ready to be blown apart. It's good. It reminds me of a conversation we had a while ago with Mako Fujimura the artist, and I was railing against social media like I do. And then he said this really interesting thing, which was, yep, fasting, great idea from social media. But the more important issue is whether we see the environments where we participate as areas to go in and consume or as areas to go in and create. Mm. And I this actually builds that concept out for me going, oh, you artist were onto something there of understanding the various spaces of your life as sort of a creative opportunity. Yeah. You use this phrase, transform the atmosphere, like with who you are. Tell me more. Okay. I want to know how to do it and what you mean. Well, it starts, I think, with a different definition of creativity which I, I see creativity is not for the elite. It's not for some rare class of people that have gotten X degrees. But what it is is bringing something new into existence that changes the atmosphere. 
So in that sense, again, God is our Father. He's creator. We're all creative. So the question is, how do we as sons and daughters bring something new into existence like God did at creation? And and it starts with our presence. And so our presence can change the atmosphere before oftentimes we even say a word. We can walk into a room. We can offer a thought um, that just kind of calms everything. And it also involves our gifting, I think. And by that, I mean, what has God given us is our unique talent or ability or creative force. And really, I think we can use that as something, um, you know, our art, our creativity is kind of a, a weapon of warfare. It's what we get to bring against chaos. And so in that sense, who we are and what we do changes the environment by the words we speak and by the people that we engage with. So when, when you're talking about how do, you know, how do we step into it, to me, that's, that's how we do it. I don't know if we've got a lot of uh, basketball fans out there, whether through their own kids or through March Madness or you know now the playoffs we're in. But but one of the things about basketball that's fascinating to watch is when a full court press happens, the other team is trying to bring chaos as the the team with the ball is trying to get down the court, and so a full court press, all five usually players of the other team are pressing them, trying to create madness, chaos, right, so that the ball gets turned over. Because if the if the team with the ball panics and lobs the ball up, the other team gets it, scores two more points. Well, the way to break a full-court press that almost any experienced coach would tell you is you go down the middle. If you go to the left or right, you're trapped. That's the whole goal of a full-court press. Trap somebody on the left or right, surround them, and create panic. But if you go down the middle, you can break almost any press. And so when we face chaos, I think it's the same thing. The goal isn't to try to maneuver around it, sidestep it, avoid it, hunker down. It's to say, actually, with God, not not in my own strength, but with God, whatever this is, I'm going to go into it, and I'm going to change it in some way for the better. We can't always rescue something that from not happening, but we can make it different because of who we are. And the cool thing, Sam and Blaine, I would add, is with, with our gifting, our talent, it gets really interesting because then the question isn't just what do you do, but how does your passion, how do your dreams, the thing you love to do, how does it actually transform some portion of our reality by bringing some kind of beauty, life, and order and hope where there wasn't that? Whether that's through architecture or whether that's through being a teacher or whether that's through a stay-at-home mom with the kids at home, young kids, you know, an artist of some kind who's writing story or, or painting or a chef like all of those things transform the environment, and it is us stepping into our creative gifting in a way that I think the enemy hates because our creativity is a doorway into intimacy with God since he gave us that gift. And so he tries to pull us back into chaos 
where we're just where things are being deconstructed and we're actually having the invitation to go deeper into our image as a son of God, daughter of God. It's so good. Several thoughts here, Alan. One is, do you have something that orients you in the process? Because doorway is almost too fast of a metaphor. There's like an invitation and, and then you step through it and then you're on the other side. Whereas chaos and change seem to take a little bit of a, a while to change the atmosphere, to, to grow through it. I want some guide and you've, and you've mentioned beauty, life and order. Is that the tool you hold out there in front of you to ask yourself when you're in the middle of the chaos, when you've chosen to enter into it, when you, when the full court press is going on, I want something that like helps me know, am I the hero who's changing and growing for good or am I just getting turned into an agent of chaos? Is, is that taking over right now? Because in the moment, throwing more clay on the wheel, it can, it can yeah. feel a little confusing as to what's happening. Yeah. Well, the, the biggest question that's helped me is always this, God, what are you up to in the moment? Um, and even if I don't have time to think of almost anything else, if I can just remember that internally to think, oh man, this doesn't look good. Okay, God, what are you up to? Because it feels like everything's unraveling. And yet I know with you, I can change something for the better here. Uh, even if it's me learning how to walk with you more intimately. So uh, my batting average isn't, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying it's anywhere near uh, great, but the more I can do that, you know, I would say if, if there's seven times a day where I would have blown it uh, when chaos hits, now four or five of those times, I think I'm doing it pretty well because I see it as training ground and I see it as with more of a mythic sense than just, oh man, one more thing in the day that's, that's derailing my day. You know, it gets me out of that, which, which is really, I think, rooted in, Sam, an expectation of the day should go the way I want it to on some level. Like on some level, if that's not happening, God, you're letting me down. So would you please get it together so that my life can be a little more like I want it to be in this day? And when it shifts internally from that to, I have no idea what this day is going to bring. I'm, I'm doing my best to make it peaceful and calm and, and enjoyable. And when chaos comes, it's a chance to be initiated in some way, even if it stinks in the middle, you know, it sucks right in the middle of it. I hope I come out a different person that isn't transformed by chaos, but is transformed by a deeper identity into who I am. And, you know, there's a great scripture that references back to Genesis. And I just wanted to share this with you guys because I, I only found it about a year ago. And it's the message translation, but it's from Psalm 51, 7 through 15. And in that portion of the Psalm 51, it says, God, make a fresh start in me, shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. Okay, so what's a Genesis week? Well, that brings us back, I think, to Genesis 1-2. How did God approach not only creativity and, and creation, but how did he approach chaos? 
And so if that week, that creation week, how do I live from that place in the chaos that hits my life? And that can that just points me back to God had a plan other than just creating. He had a plan of initiation in that for all. And that was long before the fall. It wasn't a backup plan. It wasn't a rescue plan. It was a father's initiation. And then, you know, you look at Jesus. And when I first started working on this book, I thought, man, I could use one or two examples probably of where Jesus faced chaos. Well, it's like every story, every whether it's the weather, a demon-possessed person, whether it's uh, the Pharisees, uh, his own family that's doubting, whether it's somebody trying to kill him, like constantly he's entering, every story almost is him entering into some form of chaos, and yet he never becomes chaotic. I, I don't even think when he turned over the tables you know, in the temple, that wasn't Jesus becoming chaotic. It was actually him bringing life back into a place that um, was turning into something quite evil and 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 hurtful to people. But okay, if God shows us this in Genesis, if Jesus, every example we have of him is he walks into something and things change because of who he is. Not not even when he does a miracle always, but just because of who he is, even the atmosphere changes. So. That, you know, to me, it's just a continual reminder of don't let chaos catch me off guard. And now what kind of man do I want to be when it hits? This reminds me of one of my favorite analogies for living a life with God, which is Jesus as improv master. And when I was getting married, a mentor told me, you know, Almost every day, but reliably, you're going to encounter a situation in loving this person where it's just the swirling dark. You have no idea what to do. You, She comes home and you can just tell something has happened or you step on a landmine in a conversation or like something regularly happens. And he goes, and you know, you want the, a manual which I guess would be the opposite of creativity. You want a, just the, the plan that someone gives you. And instead, yeah. what you're invited to do is do something. Like step in, like take the first, not in desperation, but take the first loving step. Uh, and then, and Jesus will roll with you of seeing the new challenges that even the space of a conversation that can emerge is not... Like you are fighting the plan, but see it as something that you are constantly maneuvering around, working with. I think, based on what you've been saying, you may have a variety of interesting case studies. I think a number of examples might be helpful of what this could look like. And while you're thinking of one, I've got one right off the top yeah, of my head that, yeah. as we've had this conversation, is become clear of, oh man, this is parenting all the time. Parenting, at least at, I'm sure, older kids as well, but I can speak to parenting a two-year-old where, yes, structures are helpful. Yes, uh, her understanding of rules and natural consequences are helpful. And really constant uh, creative engagement, which I 
really like my wife doing is my daughter was just kind of in this combative, you know, almost, I'm almost three years old, downward spin. And all of a sudden, my wife just goes, I'm going to pretend you're being kind right now. Mm. And like, and begins yeah. this game with my daughter. That, and like, actually, Ailish ends up rolling into it as what had been a situation that was completely locked in parent v kid. Emily, it was like she shoulder rolled out of it into some, into an alternative like situation, and it's like, oh, there it is. There's simple example. What there is is the unruliness of another person. You cannot impose control on it, but you can engage it with creativity and love. What are some case studies from you guys? Well, just I mean, last week. I came back from one of our recent Ransomed Heart events, so it's been a week or two, I guess. But when I got home, I'm I'm worn out. It's Sunday night, and right before I go to bed, uh, my wife leans over and said, oh, by the way, my car quit working while you were gone, so it's just dead in the garage. (laughs) And I'm thinking immediately, oh, man, I... Like now we've only got one vehicle and I don't know what's wrong and this sounds expensive, whatever it is. Well, the old me would have gotten really worked up about that. Internally, chaos would have started, even if I didn't show it externally. And so the difference now is to be able to say, okay, man, God, this feels chaotic. How can I bring a strength? How can I bring order to this of some kind? And so the next morning... I go out to the garage, totally won't start, don't know exactly what's wrong, but um, the battery wasn't all that old, but couldn't even jump it. And so instead of either trying to get rid of the problem, meaning, well, I'll just call a tow truck through insurance and I'll get it brought into a shop and they can figure it out, or instead of worrying about what's this going to cost, what's this, what is the problem? Just to go, okay, God, what? how can I step into this in a way that brings a strength? And I, you know, I didn't think it was the battery because the battery was fairly new. And he said, it's the battery. And I said, okay, well, I've never had to change the battery in this particular vehicle and I don't have the tools to, to get up under it the right way. And so he fathered me through this process of go to the Home Depot Lowe's, get these tools, take it out, call the manufacturer. They, the manufacturer ended up saying, yeah, there's a local place and you can get a, we'll just give you a battery for a few dollars because something went wrong. We think that's it too. And so within a few hours, I had been fathered in not only, you know, how to, how to fix this problem, but how to get the right tools. I was able to bring my 18 year old son with me into the process. He's watching, he's learning because he's never had to change a battery out of his car before. What could have derailed and been this crisis negative thing that if I had taken it into a shop, it probably would have been a couple of hundred dollars between the toe and the whatever they did. And it worked. And so now Kelly's like thrilled. It's a way that I stepped into what felt like a chaotic situation I really didn't want to deal with that I look back on and go, oh, so much good came out of that because I stayed a son of God in it, I, I was allowing myself to be fathered and to know I could take that chaos and change it. And it's a small thing, right? But 
But when a car's dead in your garage and your wife's needing to use it and you've got to get off in your truck to wherever you're going, it can feel stressful. And so that's, I mean, that's one example. And now I look back at that as a really positive experience rather than this disastrous moment where repair had to happen. Yeah. I mean, what I love about the whole posture of this, it's not how to eliminate chaos from your life. No. It's not, if you do these four things every single day, you'll never experience angst or growth or pain or confusion. Instead, it's a much more settled and I think much more achievable posture. And to me, that's incredibly encouraging. I love it. Well, in Jesus, I mean, you know, the verse that's always quoted of in this world, you will have troubles. You know, you could replace the word troubles with chaos. Like the biggest part to me, guys, is don't let it catch you off guard. I think the enemy loves to whack us upside the head from behind with this thing that immediately sets a domino effect. And if we can just go, right, we don't want chaos. We're not looking for it. And in this world, there will be chaos. And probably in this week and even likely in this afternoon, now, without making an agreement that chaos is coming, how can we be the kind of person, you know, in, in all the great movies, the, the sage or the mentor never really gets ruffled by chaos. And that brings a calm to whoever the protagonist or the hero is, because it's a sense of, well, it can't be that impossible if the guy who knows more than me is fairly calm about this whole thing. And so if we can go, okay, God, this isn't really ruffling you. How can we lean into you and other mentors in our life where we can actually make this not a crazy, um, bitter, offended posture that we walk into it with, but one of expectancy, even, even if it's something we wish never would have happened like an illness in the family, how can we still bring something that changes that presence or an atmosphere for everybody around us? And um, I, it's been huge for me. And, and for those of you who are listening and trying to think this through beyond family, like to your calling, your creativity, the more chaotic you become, I believe it's, if you allow that to fuel your creativity and, and step into the chaos, it can be a beautiful thing like Blaine's quote earlier. But if you let it shut you down, you lose the actual freedom that your imagination, the expansiveness of who you are and what you can do. Chaos, you know, I've had so many creatives come to me and say, yeah, I'm going to start on that project as soon as my life gets in, you know, a little bit more free, a little less chaotic. And a year later, they're saying the same thing. And a year later, the same thing. And if all the enemy has to do to derail your dreams and creativity is to throw chaos at you, that's not a hard thing to do to take years from your life. Um, or if, if you aren't the best dad or husband when chaos comes, if you're okay when everything's calm, but when chaos hits, you you actually become part of the problem, the enemy's kind of, he can pull that string all day long. you know. So it, it's a mythic way to see I think our lives and chaos, but it's a very practical way then that can change how we, how we approach each day. 